welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, and we've been in a series titled Profound. And over the last three weeks, we've been looking at the parables of Jesus. A parable is simply a story with a truth rolled alongside it. But Jesus had a way of taking profound truths and simplifying them. He was able to do it through parables, and parables were simply meant to reveal the truth to those who were seeking after it, but to hide and conceal the truth from those who were indifferent towards it. And we've been looking at the different parables, especially in Matthew chapter 13. The first parable we looked at two week, a couple of weeks ago was the parable of the sower and the soils. And in that parable, it talks about God sowing the word, but our heart being the soil, if we can receive the word or not so that we can bear fruit. And then just this past week, we talked about the parable of the wheat and the weeds and what that looked like. Jesus sowing true believers but in opposition from the enemy. And today we're going to look at two parables, and my message is titled, Major in the Minors. Major in the Minors. Now, you may have heard a quote that said the exact opposite. Don't major in the minors. And it's a profound quote, and I get what he's saying, and I, I do agree. But I feel like there are some major things that God can do in the minor things of our life. That the little things many times help shape uh, our habits, help develop patterns, help us with our skills and to use our giftings if we would be open to focusing on the minor details that are there. Uh, There's a book called Atomic Habits and the writer, James Clear, he writes this. He says, changes that seem small and unimportant at first will compound into remarkable results if you're willing to stick with them for years. So if you're willing to do the small things over time, they will actually become more significant. But I've learned in my own life, and maybe you've learned it as well, that when small things are left undone or not dealt with, they become the big things in life. How many of you have ever had a cracked windshield that just started out as something very small, but then winter hits and it's just like shattered glass all over your screen, uh, window and you can't actually see So small things not dealt with can become major things. And I have two points today as we talk about the parables. And the first one is this. Small doesn't equal insignificant. Small doesn't equal insignificant. Whenever Jesus was here, he preached a message of the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yet when he told us to pray, he asked us to pray Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we talked about this a little bit last week, that the kingdom is here, but it's not fully expressed. But the kingdom had arrived, it was there because the king was there. And Jesus is the king. See, a kingdom simply means a king's domain. And every single day of our lives, the king can rule and reign in our hearts. And in these next two passages, Jesus begins to share about some kingdom principles that are valid, some truth about the kingdom that we need to capture and grab hold of. That the kingdom may start out small, but it has significant results. 
And in Matthew 13, 31, we'll pick it up there. Here's what Jesus says. He says, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air, we're going to come back to that, come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So Jesus here mentions two parables. And the first one he mentions is that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. A mustard seed isn't the smallest seed overall, but it was the smallest seed that was used in that time. And everyone there would have understood what Jesus meant. And he was saying that the smallest the mustard seed is when it's planted and can produce and continue to grow. And the kingdom of heaven is like this in the same exact way. There are other times in scriptures that you may know that Jesus uses the idea of a mustard seed when applying it to faith. He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that you'll be able to say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. So Jesus talks about faith like a mustard seed, even though it's small. And there's many times when Jesus, as he talked to his disciples, he had a phrase that he mentioned many times. He called them, oh, ye of little faith. But here's what he was also saying. That little faith is better than no faith. Because it's based on who the object of our faith is placed in. As long as it's based in him, it can have significant results. But this is the first parable out of the ones that we've read. And just so you know, he mentioned all of them at the same time. I know we break it up and I didn't preach all the parables at once. Because no one felt like being here for two hours in one service listening to me preach. But it's all one parable, so he's telling the stories, but he gave an explanation to the other ones, but he doesn't give the interpretation here. And because he didn't give the interpretation, how many of you know Christians from all over the world agree on the exact interpretation of what he meant? Because Christians do that. Obviously not. There's two main ways to kind of break this down, and it's the kingdom growth or the kingdom interference side of it is what I would call it. But I don't know if you've ever seen a picture that can, who, depending on who's looking at it, you see two different things. Some people have seen the, the picture that has the illusion where you kind of see an old man and then a young woman, and depending on which way your brain works. I know a couple of years ago, something went viral when everyone saw a black and blue dress that sometimes looked like it was white and gold, depending on who was looking at it. Just so you know, I saw a black and blue dress. That's actually what color it was, but... The whole point is we can look at the same thing and see something differently. But I also want to say, is it possible that Jesus, being a masterful communicator, can say one thing and it applies differently to different people? So we don't need to argue about the interpretation of where you stand, just so you know. I love you either way. I have my perspective. But we don't need to argue about that. But here's the kingdom growth side of it. They both agree on this, that the seed equals the gospel. It's the word of God that's going forth. That's the seed. That the field equals the world. And here's where they begin to differ a little bit when it gets to the birds of the air. Remember that phrase. Birds, if you look at the other parables, meant 
satanic or uh, opposition from the enemy. But some people interpret it as, hey, that's when unclean nations come to Israel, come to the faith in Jesus, and all now belong to the family of God. This would have been a secret that they would not have known just at the time. So it's important that God is revealing this. But there's also more the kingdom interference or hindrance side of it. And people would believe that the birds of the air represent demonic activity because of the other parables that he had just mentioned. And remember, they're all together. These are people that are a little bit worldly. They, Paul, 1 Corinthians 3, would call them carnal Christians or fleshly Christians. Another way to say it, or I like to say it, is they are Christian concarne, okay? They're Christians with a little bit of flesh. And it's important that we realize that there can be our flesh that is reacting, even when we're Christians. And this is what he's saying in this moment. But the question is, what are the branches here? Remember, when it comes to the Bible, if you don't understand about it, you should look through the rest of the Bible to see what Jesus may be talking about here. But here's what he actually says in John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So the branches that the enemy is coming against are those who are following after him. Those that are walking with God. This is why we believe that every single person needs freedom ministry. This is why people who may have been walking with God have a bondage to something. This past week, I was reading in Judges 1 during my uh, quiet time, and I just saw this passage. It was the first time I really saw it this way. In Judges 1, this is after Joshua. They're now in the promised land that God had promised Abraham, and there's in the promised land, and the land was allotted, but they still had to drive out certain enemies in order to be able to fully enjoy the victory that God wanted them to have. But if you look at this passage, they got to the place where even though they were fighting the enemy, they weren't able to drive them out fully. And here's what it says. It says they put them to forced labor. And here's what really stuck out to me is that instead of driving them out, they decided to work with them. And how many times in our lives are there things that God has called us to drive out of our lives so that we can be free but we end up working with them instead. Some of it may be our insecurity. Instead of having the identity that we are a son or a daughter, we're working with insecurity and we've kind of just partnered with it. It's become our thing. We say words that, hey, we're not, we're not, I'm not enough. I mean, I could go down the line. If, some of us, it may be anger. You're trying to prove yourself and you become a workaholic and instead of dealing with the anger and walking in forgiveness, we're using that to find approval. See, what are you working in or working with that you're tolerating that God has actually called you to remove? What should you have driven out that is actually now driving you? We need to be able to figure these things out because God wants us to be free to glorify him with our lives. But as long as different things are driving us and we're not removing them, and becoming more like the image of Christ, we're going to miss out on what he has for us. Deuteronomy 7.22 says this, And the Lord your God, talking about Israel, will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. See, some things that God does in our life are instant. 
But there's other things that take some time. It's called a process of sanctification, where God begins to work some things out of our hearts and out of our lives that we need to grow in. But I just went online and looked at this. There are 2.6 billion Christians in the earth today. And they say, according to the trends, by 2050, there will be 3.3 billion Christians. But I want you to think about it for a second. How did that start? It started small, right? Jesus came down to this earth and he had 12 disciples that he discipled and he walked with for three years. Those 12 disciples, he also added to that 72, which he sent out. After the 72, there are also 120 that were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. On the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and preaches, and 3,000 more are added to their number. And now today, the rest of the world has been impacted because of what happened a long time ago that seemed very small and insignificant, but it changed the world. And here's what you need to know. Our heart is to continue the work until the entire world knows about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it started out small. It started out simple. And so many times we can miss these moments of what God would love to do. See, we look at these large companies many times, these innovative companies that have made a massive difference in our lives. And we think that that's where it's going to be like when we start out. I'm just going to tell you, your side hustle is not going to take out Apple, okay? Apple is secure who they are. That doesn't mean you don't need to do it. That just means that there's a scaling process that you have to walk with. I've read different autobiographies because I, I just enjoy uh, reading people's stories, but a lot of them actually started in a garage. They started small, but many times we love the end, but we don't like the beginning. And it's important for us to be able to catch this. Whenever I started preaching, um, there was a man named Tim Ross, who, who was a good friend of mine, and he was working at Gateway at the time, and we had the chance to talk, and he knew that I was kind of uh, coming, wanted to learn more about teaching and preaching. And he said, okay, I want you to preach for me. I was like, oh yeah, that's great. Uh, in my office, just me and you. In my eight by 12 office, you're gonna come and you're gonna preach for me. And so I went, I did it. And then I came back and did it again about a week later. But it was a little bit awkward when you're just looking one person dead in the eyes as you're preaching. It's a little bit awkward, and sometimes I would try my attempted humor, and he didn't laugh. So it was just very awkward for both of us. Uh, but I got instant feedback in that moment. He would tell me, hey, Ethan, hey, that joke wasn't funny. Never use that again, okay? <laughs> but he would speak, but I loved it. I actually didn't hate it. I didn't despise it, and here's why. Because I knew that it was going to help me grow as a communicator, and I needed that growth. See, Zechariah 4.10 says it this way. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. See, so many times we think God only rejoices when we're at the end. But he rejoices even when one soul comes to him and says yes to him. Luke 15 says there's rejoicing in heaven at the beginning. So what is it that we need to start? It's important that we start. Whenever you come together, and you're, think about a book. A book starts with one letter. And those letters continue to be put together to form a sentence. And those sentences become paragraphs, and those paragraphs eventually become a book. As believers, I believe we need to have a bias for action. Yes, we should pray, and to me, prayer is an action. 
It's going to God. It's asking from him. It's hearing him. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. It's allowing God to speak back to you and communing with the God of the universe. But then once we pray, we need to take the next step and be active because faith is shown by the way that we are willing to move. There's times when Moses held up his staff and the Red Sea parted. There were other times where Joshua was told by God to step into the water. And as he stepped in, the waters parted. God wants us to move and have a bias for action. But what is your mustard seed step? Just so you know, it's a walk of faith. It's not a leap of faith. Your walk with God every single day to simply take a step with him and trust that as you step, he is moving along with you. Some of us, we have a heart. And our first step is we need to read the word. We want to know more of the word. And many people come up to you and say, hey, Pastor Ethan, where should I start in the Bible? And my answer to them is typically, yes. <laughs> you should start. Doesn't matter where. I might not start off with Leviticus, but that's me. But you could choose John. Whenever I was growing up, I, I read Psalms and Proverbs. You can read five Psalms a day and get through in a month. You can read one proverb a day and get through in a month as well. And I felt like a proverb a day would keep the foolishness away. So that was kind of my goal growing up to be able to learn and receive. But you may just simply have to start. Start with one chapter. Some of us, it may be prayer. We need to pray more. You don't have to set aside an hour of time. Even the disciples fell asleep whenever they tried to pray that long with Jesus. But it could just be five minutes. It could be a passage that the Lord speaks to you and you just pray that over your children. You pray it over yourself. You pray it over your family. You pray it over your work. You pray it over your life. There's, it can be a lot simpler, but you have to take the first step. For others of us, we may want to grow in our trust with God when it comes to our finances. We've never been people who have tithed or even been over and above and been generous. And I want to say I love Gateway Church because you are a very generous church. And what God has done here in our hearts for us to put our treasure in what he's doing is incredible. But some of us are in that generosity journey where we're just simply beginning. I know in my own life growing up, uh, my mom taught me about tithing and giving to the local church. But it wasn't until later on in life when I read The Blessed Life that my generosity journey really took a step up. And I just say this, that The Blessed Life was the most expensive $11 book that I've ever purchased in my entire life. But it changed me and God began to do something on the inside of me when it came to changing out my greedy heart for a generous heart. And some of us may need to be in that place where we begin to trust God and it's simply taking the next step. Others of us, it could be exercising. It could be eating right. It's just starting with something simple. Some of us, we know that in our marriage, there are things that are not right. And for many years, we've been taking steps backwards instead of moving forward. But I just want to let you know that if it's been years that you have stepped back, it's going to take some time for you to step back into it. Many times it's like, well, I took one step and it's not back to where it was. Of course it is. Because it took you time to get where it was, it's going to take you time. But the truth is, if you were finished, your marriage can actually be better than it was beforehand. But we have to simply take that first mustard seed small step towards what God is calling us to. Deuteronomy 7, 7, it gives us an insight as to why God actually chose Israel. And here's what it says. It said, the Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you 
because you are more numerous than other nations, for you are the smallest of all nations. Okay, God didn't choose Israel because they were the largest. He actually chose them because they were the smallest. Here's why. Because if God was able to work through them, they were never going to be able to take glory. They were never going to be able to take credit. See, there is in our lives a battle for glory. And here is the way you could tell the battle. Whenever something good happens in your life, whenever you get a promotion, whenever your business does well, whenever your family is doing well and your parenting and your kids turn out great, do you respond? And I know you would never say this out of your mouth, but do you ever think to yourself, I'm good or God is good? Because there's a big difference between the two. If your initial impression is I'm good, there's a battle for glory that's happening in that place right now. Because so many times when it comes to our walk with God, we think that God needs a lot in order to do something. But many times with God, less is actually more. Gideon learned this in Judges chapter 7, verse 2. It says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Let Israel claim glory for itself against me. Just think about that for a second. Pride, boasting is actually claiming glory for yourself instead of God. And it's actually saying it's against me. This is why God rejects the prideful. It's important for us to catch this. Saying, my own hand has saved me. This is in Judges, but I believe that even still today, people think they can work their way to salvation. They can work their way to God and say, my own hand has saved me. Once again, everybody will say, it's not because I'm good. It's because he's good. That's what God has done in my heart and in my life. And for Gideon, he took the warriors down from 32,000 to 300. That's what it took. See, so many of us are disqualifying or discounting what God already has given us. But I want to tell you, if you have God, you have all that you need. That's all that you need in order to be able to fulfill what he's called for you to fulfill. A question we may never have asked ourselves is why do we have the Bible today? Because it actually came as a great cost for us to have the Bible translated the way that it was. There's a man named William Tyndale in the 1500s that started with a very small and simple idea. And it was the idea that every single person should be able to have the Bible in their own language. And for those that know this story, know that in the 1500s, he was able to do this first the New Testament, then the Old Testament. But it was considered a massive deal at the time, and he eventually was martyred. He was burned at the stake. And his life was given up so that we could have this Bible. But I want you to think about something for a second. What are the odds that he would think of the impact that he would make by this decision that God was calling him to? Thousands of years later, Millions upon millions, if not billions of people have come to the faith. Many of them have read the Bible in their own language. And it's because of the decision to make that seemed very small, but it had a large impact. And I just want to let you know that small doesn't necessarily equal insignificant. And that's the first point. The second point is this. God works from the inside out. God works from the inside out out. It's important for us to be able to understand this. See, Jesus used this picture in the second parable of leaven. Leaven is what causes bread to rise. But leaven, this would have shocked him that he uses this as a picture for the kingdom of God. 
for the kingdom of heaven to be explained, and here's why. The leaven was typically seen as sinful or corruption. It's a life with an evil influence to it. This is why Jesus told the disciples, beware of the leaven or the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Their doctrine is going to lead you astray. So Jesus, using it in a positive sense, talking about the kingdom of heaven, would have thrown them back. As a matter of fact, even during the Passover, they had to remove all leaven from their house. Here's what it says in Exodus 12, 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So it was a very serious deal. But Jesus is using on the other side, and here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the dynamic nature of the kingdom of heaven. Though it's hidden and you can't see it, it's going to have a massive impact and it's going to continue to expand. It's important for us to catch this, that it will continue to expand on the inside of us. But here's the difference between Christianity and, dare I say, even other religions, because Christianity is more about a relationship and knowing God. But Christianity is the one religion that works from the inside out. It's not about the conduct or what you do that makes you right with God. It's ultimately about being in relationship with him and believing in his son. Luke 17, 20 says this. Now, when he, that's Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For the, indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. See, God does his greatest work in your life on the inside. He changes you. He makes you new. It's not your conduct that changes you. He puts his spirit on the inside of you so that you can walk in the new life and have new desires. It's not about trying to work your way to God. This is this idea of behavior modification that makes you right with God. It's, this, it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. That God is pleased when I'm perfect. The only problem is, if that's what it takes for God to be pleased, you're not perfect, so he will never be pleased. But it's an illusion or a deception that we try to teach ourselves. That we change our behavior, or we look good on the outside, then we're good. Because I've seen many people look peaceful on the inside, but once you got behind the curtain, there was a bunch of chaos. There's people, many times, that they even come to church, they've been to church for a long time, and they know the motions. They can raise their hands, they can clap their hands, most of the time on beat, sometimes off, I see you, but remember, start out small, small steps, you'll get there. But we can pre present this aura on the outside. You'll go up to them and say, hey, how are you doing? And they'll say, God is good. I know how God is doing, God has always been good. I'm actually asking, how are you doing? But some people know exactly what to say to keep the rest of the questions at bay because the right questions would begin to get inside and they haven't been real with anyone. See, our real life is actually hidden in Christ. But we need to be around people who are going to help us take off the mask, help us take off the hypocrisy so that we're able to walk in the new life that God wants us to live. It's important that we catch this. This is why God is so focused on your heart because he knows that's the real you. And how do you know what's in your heart by what you say out of your mouth? Amen. There's a heart-to-mouth connection. Yes. Even this past week, 
I realized there were some things with fear that I was dealing with, but the way I realized it was because of what I said. And God began to deal some, with some things in my life and in my heart, and I was able to cast that care to him. But you need to pay attention to what you say, because that's what's ultimately in your heart. This is why Psalm 19:14, the psalmist writes, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Because there's a connection between the two. But here's why we can have confidence. I love the way that Paul puts it in Philippians 1.6. He says this. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. See, we can have confidence. We can be certain in a world full of uncertainty you can find certainty in God. You can be certain. And look at this. So many times people think, well, God started it, but I'm going to have to finish it. God is the author of our faith, and he's the finisher of our faith. If we stay in his presence, if we stay connected to him, you can be certain that you have his love. You can be certain that he is always going to be with you, that he will never leave you, or he will never forsake you. You can be certain that you have hope that's an anchor for your soul if you would be with him in relationship. You can be certain that you can have peace that passes all understanding to guard your heart and to guard your mind. You can be certain in your relationship with God. That's what gives us peace and the strength to be able to move forward with him. Because God always finishes what he starts. And we're supposed to be a reflection of that. I want to encourage us today, don't quit in the middle. Because you don't know just sometimes by continuing and taking that small step, what's on the other side? What's on the other side of your yes? What's on the other side of you being obedient to God? Because he has more for every single one of us. Don't allow your faith to fade just because you failed. Because we're all going to fall short. But God picks us up in those moments and carries us to where he desires for us to be. Growing up, I had a, a best friend. We've known each other now for 30 plus years. Still good friends to this day. And we became really good friends. We met at church. Then we were connected through the school that we went to. And we hung out all the time. Even to the point where they, they started to treat me like a, one of their own family members. I felt accepted. And here's how I know that I was officially family. They told me, hey, Ethan, you've been at our house a ton of times, but you're going to have to start pulling your weight around here. So they, they got me some chores and they, they adopted me to some work. And I was like, okay, great. Uh, you feed me, so I'm in. Uh, but through the times, my, his father would always use what we were doing as teaching moments. He would use it while we were doing it. Whenever we were mowing the lawn, he'd teach us about Straight and narrow, you know, he teaches these things. But one of the lessons that st stuck with me, and it's simple, but once again, it was profound. It's something I've tried to carry on in my life. We were washing his car uh, one day, and we thought we were done. We thought we had gotten it all clean, but the tires apparently were not clean to his liking. So he asked us a simple question. He said, hey, what do you have if you have a clean car and you have dirty tires? What do you have? So after a couple of attempts and getting it wrong, he said, if you have a clean car and you have dirty tires, what you actually have is a dirty car. And it was this principle I still stick with today is that it's not just about how you start. You need to also finish. You need 
to be able to finish all the way. Let me say it another way. You need to run the race that God has given you. Because certain generations may not have seen the start or seen you start well, but they are for sure watching you to see how you finish. And we can run our race to win so that we receive all that God has called for us to receive. So finish well. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Every single week, as we come to this moment, we ask this question, what's the Holy Spirit saying to me through this message? We're all at different places of our lives. In a moment here, we're about to go into one more worship song. And I'm going to invite the prayer team down front. If you need prayer for anything at all, you can come down and receive prayer. You don't have to be a member of Gateway Church. And we should never be embarrassed to come down for prayer. For some of us, that small mustard seed step would be stepping out and joining our faith with someone else's for God to move on our behalf. But don't leave today with the same burdens that you came in with. God will meet you right where you are. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. If you need prayer for anything at all, you can begin coming forward. So Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you that you have called us to be faithful in even the little things because that is what prepares us for much. So I say today that the people who are having an impression of what you are speaking to them, even if it's doing the thing of coming into relationship with you and let your work begin in their lives for you to move from the inside out. I pray that there would be true for every single one of us today, that we would be open to your work, that we would be open to your will and we would be open to walking in your ways. And as we take that step, I pray that it would reverberate throughout history that we don't know the impact of one step, but as we step out and obey you and connect with your purpose and your plan for this world, I pray that we would make an impact that builds the kingdom for generations to come. And I pray today that you would draw every single person that needs prayers. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said amen and amen. Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.